Hello, and welcome to another engaging episode of Cyber Speaks Live, the InfoSec podcast recorded in front of a live online audience, giving you, the community, a voice that can be heard around the world. And now it's time for your host, Duncan McAllen. Hello, everyone. Once again, this is Duncan McAllen. I am InfoSec War on Twitter. And this is season two, episode five. And today I am so pleased to bring back our inaugural guest co-host, the person who stepped to the mic first and foremost and, and took a leap of faith on what we're doing here and what we're trying to bring to the InfoSec community. So that being said, Marcus J. Carey, CEO of ThreatCare, the co-author of Tribe of Hackers, the founder of the Tribe of Hackers Summit and distinguished United States Navy veteran, ladies and gentlemen, Marcus J. Carey. Marcus, thank you for coming on the show once again, sir. How are you? Hey, thanks for having me. I'm happy to be uh, part of this and this is cool. I love the way it's taken off for you. Congratulations on the success of this. Thank you. Thank you so much. You know, I feel like this time around, I have my big boy pants on. You know, we've grown up a little bit. Uh, The podcast itself has matured. We've received some tremendous support from the community. Folks like yourself coming on here week after week and being a part of this experience. You know, we've also picked up some accolades along the way. You know, uh, the podcast judge gave us a five-star rating. Uh, I think we're still five-star rated in Apple Podcasts. We were named the top new cybersecurity podcast of 2019 by Psychotic, which was a tremendous honor. And then Upcoming, you know, Microsoft has invited us to their Ignite conference to be able to do a live podcast recording on stage from their biggest event of the year. So, yeah, it's been tremendous. The support we've received, the the reception in the community, Uh, the accolades are nice. It helps me know that we're on to something here. Yeah, man, it seems like ages ago that we had you on the show, but it was really just back March 1st, right? Yeah, it wasn't that long ago. And uh, trust Wait. me, the people that you trust me, the people you have on here are way better than me. So thanks oh, for come on, man. gracing <laughs> me with it. Humility doesn't suit you well, man. You've accomplished too much in your career. But uh, I, I appreciate you saying that. We have had some fabulous guests on. And uh, I do need to correct myself. I said March 1st. It was actually May 1st. It was the day before the first Tribe of Hackers Summit there in Austin. And I was so pleased to be able to get out there as well and meet so many of the authors that help contribute to your book, Tribe of Hackers. And um, you know, let's just t- take a pause here because before we get into the next volume, you know, maybe some folks out there aren't familiar yet with what the Tribe of Hackers is. Can you just explain what that first volume is all about and, and what inspired you to create it? Well, so um, I, I, the first book uh, that came out, uh, I, was, I was always telling people, and uh, you know, I, I work in I work with a lot of people that aren't necessarily part of the cybersecurity scene. And what I found out is that you know they would mention somebody, and I'm like, yeah, I know that person, or yeah, I know that person. And because I've been around the hacker scene so long, I just know a, a bunch of people. And 
And I even noticed that when I go to a conference, I have a lot of conversation with kind of like some people that, you know, have kind of like names in the industry are very known and people are scared to talk to them. And so I was like, well, you know, and, I, and when I'm when I'm at a conference, I'll introduce people to people all the time. They're they're just my friends. I'm just old now, so I know a lot of people. So <laughs> what what I said, like, man, it'd be it'd be great if we could, you know, get some of the people that I know, and other talented people that you don't know. You know, some people are not been you know weren't well known or whatever. Some people were kind of like known in the industry. Some people nobody ever heard of before, and and so we just we just asked them questions about how they got started in the industry, some industry problems, uh, talking about some myths in the industry, and it ended up being it ended up going viral, and so that was that was cool. Uh, went viral on Amazon, and uh, and so we ended up being able to form a relationship with Wiley, who's helping us put out a couple more books. Awesome. Are those the dogs again? Yeah, he's going after the dogs right now. So uh, you can't help but to love when the dogs want to become part of the show, right? So, you know, in all that happened with the Tribe of Hackers book, it actually is starting, in my mindset, creating this movement, so to speak, right, that's really just taking form and having its a life of its own, so to say. So what do you see coming next? I mean, we've got now the Tribe of Hackers Red Team Edition, right? So let's talk about it. And then I want to talk about what's coming down the road from this whole movement. What's behind the Red Team Edition? Yeah, so um, there, of course, there's there's tons of different things that people can do in cybersecurity. And so uh, when I was doing the first book, I already had in mind that, that there's, there's people that do red team and, and I have a conversation with a red team where I'm asking certain questions. And there's things about red team that people want to know, the people that aren't necessarily red teamers that will love to, to ask, you know, like some of the people that are, that are even in the book about red teaming. Uh, and I tell a lot of people that, that, uh, that even though red team is kind of like the the upper echelon of, of jobs that people want to get, there's not a lot of people that do that job professionally, to be honest with you. I mean, I by my estimations, I think less than 5% of the cybersecurity jobs out there are red team jobs. So you don't have a lot of people real experience. And then you'll have people trying to form their, uh, their own red teams or purple teams. And so here, here's what I, what I know is that that there's a there's a saying that there's no idea new under the sun, and and so what I want to do with the red team project is to get a bunch of people that do this professionally to give their take on a lot of questions, mm -hmm. uh, because people that really do it, you know, people that aren't aren't just guessing about it or whatever, uh, and how do they do it corporately? And that was the idea. And also, it's all about spreading knowledge again. It's all about using our, my network and my friend's network to get people that can, can be candid and answer the questions. And I think that that's pretty cool. So we, we're going to be doing more, more projects. Really happy with the red team thing because that's any, anytime I talk to somebody, they always talk about, you know, how does that work? How do you know, all those different things. 
Mm-hmm. And so we, we have we have a resource out there for people to go to that answers a lot of questions. Absolutely. And that is precisely the format of the series of Tribe of Hacker books, right? We're getting the perspective from dozens of different co-authors in each one of these books, but they're all presented essentially the same questions and asked to respond to each of those questions. And you don't necessarily use every single one of the questions for each one of the persons. And I'm sure you have your editorial reasons for that, but essentially they're all responding to the same set of questions. And then you as the reader get to go from one person's profile to the next, to the next, and be able to see some of the different perspectives that they're able to provide in the responses they're giving for the exact same question that somebody else has answered and a dozen others have as well. So it's really from a writing perspective, I guess, aggregating all these data points together, it's just a, a tremendous approach for those that are really trying to understand like you said, there's so many different career paths that one can take in InfoSec today. And even the term InfoSec is such a broad stroke and brush that maybe we need books like this to be able to help us understand, do I want to become a red teamer? Do I want to become a blue teamer? Do I want to become a CISO? You know, uh, there's so many different avenues that one could take that I think things like this, that really get at the heart of the matter, what it's like in the day in the life of, resonates very well with a lot of folks. So obviously, I mean, the the book's been a great success thus far, right? The first one. What's the second edition with the Red Teamers looking like? How How is that going with Wiley? I know you guys are giving away a bunch of copies, but I assume this one's doing equally as well as the first edition, or if not, maybe better? Yeah, the, the cool thing about the, the Wally connection is, 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 is it's more global. It's a global distribution. And so uh, the first time we, you know, we, we self-published the, the book, it was only available on Amazon. Now it's available in stores, so there's a, a wider, wider audience that can, can get the book and even like overseas territories that people, they couldn't get the book before. So that's awesome. Uh, I would say that I, I like how you talk about the format of the book and how each person is asked the same questions. There's two pretty cool things about that. There, there's, there's certain questions that where there is actually a consensus where the, everybody are like, you know, almost repeating the same answer. It's like a drumbeat. This is how mm-hmm. it should be done. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and some of those things are pretty cool, like the ethical questions that we ask. Everybody's kind of like on the same page. And then there's other questions where there is not just, there's not a one size fits all, and there's different answers to those, and that's cool. And so I think that what you have there is that you have a level of affirmation uh, from a reader's perspective that, that they're not too far away from doing the right thing and sometimes there's different approaches. And then even like the people in the book, funny enough, they don't, in both projects, nobody knows who's, who's in the book pretty much. So when they get the book, it's like a surprise. Like, man, all these people answered these same questions as I did. And so that actually, that's actually helped them out 
And another, there's all kind of different side benefits that are kind of crazy. You know, we, we ask a ton of people. There's no, you know, to, to participate. Some do, some don't. But what's, what's, what's been awesome is that some people that weren't so well-known, quote-unquote, have gotten opportunities, more speaking engagements. Uh, so it's, it's done well. And the people that end up in the book, it's the craziest thing. Everybody like super humble and want to meet and share with other people. Right. And so it's like the craziest thing where it's not some kind of braggadocia thing that I'm in the book or whatever. It's like people sincerely are here to help out and build a community. That right there, it blows my mind how that is. That, that's, the, that's the one thing that I think is crazy. And yeah, the second book, uh, number one, Amazon and, and several different categories. So the Red Team book is doing great. And we have a couple of more on the way. I'm so pleased to hear that, Marcus. I really am. And I think you hit the nail on the head there talking about the humility of the contributors, the cause, the reason behind it. You know, and I don't think a, a lot of folks understand how much of a level of effort this was for you and Jenjen to be able to put together. The first book, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't have it in front of me, but that was under the Threat Care Publishing, right? I mean, you guys published that yourselves. You did not have the brand or, or the resources of a Wiley Publishing, right? So can you talk about what maybe some of the differences that you've experienced producing the first book on your own versus working with a well-established publisher like Wiley on the second and subsequent books? Yeah, I can go into that a little bit. And what I like about that as well is it kind of like, it's a lesson in life. Certain people are good at certain things and that's where you go to them. They're like, there's people that are good at red teaming and you want them to be red team. There's defenders that are good. So Wiley is a, is a publisher. So that's all they do is publish books, right? Yep, <laughs> yep. So they, they're way better than, than, than I am. So the story is, you know, almost two years ago, I came up with the concept and I, I mentioned in my first book, there's a book called Tribe of Mentors. That's a really good book. And that book, it kind of inspired me to do the same thing for the hackers crowd because, you know, people ask me a lot of questions. People ask everybody else questions. Let's just get it all into something that we can do. And I have a friend, a pretty popular guy named Egypt. He's a, he's a hacker. People know Egypt. We work together at Rapid7. And, and me and, and Egypt, he has all these fancy terms that I never heard before. And hopefully he sees this. He always used to talk about tribal knowledge and, and he kind of introduced me to that term. Mm-hmm. And so basically there's a lot of stuff in cybersecurity that we have this knowledge that nobody knows outside of cybersecurity. So having a tribe, that's how I named the book Tribe of Hackers. It's like, wow, this is, this is tribal knowledge that we need to share for the next generations that come. So they'll understand what we, we thought about it because it hasn't been documented like this before. You know, cybersecurity is 30 years old or whatever, depending on who you talk to. And there hasn't been like a real good compilation like this before. So this, is, this could be a great opportunity to get this all documented right now, what we think as practitioners, not as like, you know, professors or something like that, not to diss academia, but how, how, what do people in the trenches really think? And also by working with Wiley, it give, like I said, it gives us a global platform. People, you know, like Bo and Phil, they're going to be, people are going to be reading their stuff all over the world. And it's great. That's all it is. We're trying to share information. And it's funny because um, 
the level of effort from when we did it ourselves, it cost us like $25,000 to do it. Oh, wow. You know that, that that right there is a pretty heavy level. 25 racks is a lot of money, especially from a kid from a ghetto like me. So, <laughs> All right. And we've been donating a lot of money to the charity as well. Uh, we also allowed the first book was available for PDF download. We had over 10,000 10, downloads of the book. And so a lot of people have been blessed by this. And that's kind of like what I'm, I'm here for is just to, you know, help people out. And, and that's what the book is generally about. Now what we're doing, we're going with Wally allows us to do another big thing. And eventually uh, what you're going to see later this year is there's going to be a humble bundle related to tribal hackers. And there's going to be tons of money to go into charities. And so, oh, that's fantastic, uh, from, man. From that route. And so that's kind of like, there's so many reasons why, you know, like I said, you know, experts are experts for a reason. So I'm happy to have a relationship with Wiley. They've been super awesome. And a, another crazy thing that blows, that's going to blow people's mind is that this book is creating a lot of opportunities for the readers and even some of the people that are contributors in the book. You're going to see books coming from the people there in the book. And that's going to be their for foray into getting their own books published. Uh, you know, it could be by Wiley, it could be by somebody else. But I know that there's opportunities happening for people all around the, the book. And and that's right, that's right there is worth any kind of criticism or any kind of stuff that that that, that goes around. Is because I know we're blessing people. Absolutely. And you know, haters are gonna hate and they hate to see success in others and what they're doing and how they're accomplishing more in life or what have you, you know. So to those out there that have ragged on Marcus or ragged on threat care for, you know, making this book and it just being some marketing scheme or ploy, you know, go to hell. We don't need that kind of stuff in this industry. And Marcus certainly doesn't deserve that kind of response from you. So, you know, if you're going to come out with that kind of stuff, at least have the balls to do it publicly and don't, you know, try to hate in the back shadows. So, uh, that's it. That's all I'm going to say on that matter. Marcus, we are all blessed for knowing you and, you know, the, the strength and the wisdom that you're sharing with this industry and the conduit that you have provided for dozens and dozens of industry, you know, thought leaders and experts and, you know, the, the up and comers as well, you know, through these projects. So um, what's next then? I know we have the red team edition. We talked about the potential for a blue team edition as well, right? Yeah. So we talked about there's going to be a blue team book. It's going to be awesome, but I'm really pumped on the next book that we, we have coming out. It's going to be a book for security leaders. It's, it's going to be, you know, Tribal Hacker security leaders edition. Because if anything, that's a, that's a segment where many of these security leaders that can't go to conferences, you know, being a business owner myself, what I've, I've identified that there's not a CISO with every organization. Right. Everybody acts like everybody has a CISO, but that's not true. But there are what I call security owners. That person owns the security for that company, or even mm -hmm. if it's a small or large company. Sometimes it's an IT manager. Sometimes it's a network uh, lady or whatever. It could be anybody in the organization, but they're the security owner, right? So the security leader version of Tribal Hackers, we're, in, we're interviewing people that have are leading organizations, 
And we're asking questions about how do they get the budget? How do they, how do they meet goals? How do they make sure that their team's on the same page? The whole nine, in my opinion, that might be the hardest thing in cybersecurity is managing that whole process. So I think it's a very important book and the questions are, are kind of open-ended questions. And I, I know that it's going to be a blessing to managers and people that are aspiring to be managers. Because uh, there's a lot of people that want to lead and, and, and how do you do that? I, I can guarantee you, you know, you know, not dissing any kind of like certifications. This book, this manager book is going to, the security leader book is, is what it's going to be called. It's going to be such, <laughs> it's going to be so much game in it, you know what I'm saying, to use a street term. So much game, it's going to blow people's mind. I'm really pumped. I can't wait. I definitely have some recommendations of some thought leaders in the industry that can contribute, but Lord, do I also know some that could benefit from reading a book like that. <laughs> yeah. So that book and then, then the blue team, they're all going to come out this calendar year. So watch for those in the, in the next couple of months. And also the humble bundle is coming out too. Uh, be on the lookout for that too. And, and shout out to Wiley. They've been absolutely awesome. Yeah, uh, I've been a big fan of Wiley Publishing for God since I've been in this industry, I believe. But hopefully that Humble Bundle will be available in time for the holiday season, right? Yeah, that's the game plan. Uh, and so, you know, hopefully hopefully that happens. And also, like I said, we, we have a heart for, for helping people out. And so hopefully that, that's going to benefit a lot of nonprofits. And it actually blew my mind behind the scenes on how much money that the humble bundles generate for charities. Blew blew my mind. So yeah. it's a lot of money that they can generate. So you know, look so out for that. Keep that in mind for a secret hacking Santa coming up soon. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's right. That's right. Okay, so, like, so I'm looking. I'm looking over at Bo and Phil. I love. They even wrote a, a red shirt today. I love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I got so, a blue uh, shirt on. I'm blue teamer. <laughs> Hey, you, I, I guess I'm neutral. I, I'm not on camera, you know, just because of some uh, bandwidth issues I'm contending with at the moment. But, yeah, I, I guess I'm being neutral. I'll be part of the purple team because I like to you – know, I do say I'm a blue teamer, but I do like to play a, a bit of the adversarial attack type as well. So before I do actually – pull in Bo and Phil, uh, you know, I, I got to call you out, Marcus. You know, I don't know if this is inside of your work office, if this is your home office, but I do recognize that bottle of tequila on the top shelf there in the background. You're trying to disguise it as a skull, but I know that bottle of tequila very well. Uh, actually, my wife and I had it uh, and saved it as Scully, we nicknamed him. But he lost his mustache at some point, and I don't remember when. But anyhow, so while I let Marcus put that back on the shelf without uh, partaking, hopefully, uh, let's go ahead. You know, Marcus, I, I decided you know, to take some of the load off of your shoulders for today's episode and invited on a couple of the contributors to the Red Team Edition. So... Yeah, I love with, it. But yeah. This, this was definitely a surprise, but amazing people that you brought on. Yeah, so joining us today is Bo Bollock. Is it Bollock or? It's Bullock. 
Close well, enough. Okay. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> I'm used to Bollock, so as yeah. an Irishman, my name immediate or my mind immediately goes there. But I know, thanks. I know, it's 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 rough. <laughs> and also joining us is Phil Wiley. So Phil, Bo, thanks for coming on. I really, I wanted to get your perspectives as well before we dive into your actual contributions inside the book and talking to some of the points that you raise up. You know, let our speakers know what was this experience like for you as contributing authors? What incentivized you to participate in this project with Marcus? And what have you seen come about as a result of being a part of this movement? Bill, you want to take it first? Sure. Uh, one of the things I thought was, you know, first off, I was, it's an honor to be included in this book because I've seen the first version. And it was cool going to conferences and meeting people in the book. I was at B-Side San Francisco and was sitting next to a lady that was in the book. And it's like, wow, later on she was in the tribe of hackers. So it's kind of cool. It gives awareness to people of people in the industry. And there's people from all different walks of life. And that, that's a great thing. And also being involved with this is Marcus's uh, willingness and wanting to help community. That's one area that we really agree on. And part of the reason I like being included in the book Although I work as a penetration tester, I also teach and mentor and help people become pen testers. I like to be able to help people out. And so that's one of the, probably the biggest thing for me is to be able to help others with through my experience. So before I, I let Bo counter, Phil, you have a platform, you have a bunch of listeners here. Let's talk about what it is that you're doing with the Pwn School. Yes, uh, the Pwn School Project is a, a, a meetup that I started, an organization I started last year. January last year, I started uh, teaching an ethical hacking class at Richland College. And my students throughout the class said, what class do we take next? Because at Richland College, this was the only offensive security style course they had. And, you know, a lot of people can't afford SANS courses. So as the course, as the semester went on, I was thinking about maybe getting together on weekends and teaching them different techniques, you know, informal, just periodically meeting up. And I had a couple students that tried to get in my class the summer semester, and they weren't able to get in, transfer from them, their, the school they were attending in at the time soon enough. And at, it really disappointed me because they're pe people that I know from the community, really kind-hearted, really wanting to learn. I was disappointed with that, so I thought I need to do something about this. So I started the Pwn School Project. It's a monthly meetup. I hold in the main location is in Dallas, Texas, and the other location, Denton, Texas. And so we have educational uh, presentations and workshops and classes to teach uh, red team tactics, learn how to pen test. And the Denton location, there's really not much cybersecurity community there. So there we kind of open it up to, to more security topics, not just uh, red team. And then the uh, Dallas meetings several months ago, I started streaming. So we were able to share that content with people that aren't in the location. Oh, that's awesome, man. Uh, definitely need to get the information about the online streaming so we can include that in the show notes and make sure that we help you amplify that message and, and get the word out that that is an option for folks that aren't in the North Texas region. Okay, so Bo, uh, flipping it over to you, same kind of questions, man. You know, what inspired you? Why'd you get involved with it? What's resulted from your involvement in the project? Yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah, for sure. You know, I, I am, I, I totally think that it's an absolute honor just to even be included. I mean, it's first of all, like I just got that out there. It's, it's really cool. Um, secondly, I, I think that kind of what, what Marcus was saying around um, seeing, you know, all your friends that are in the book, you know, and seeing what they have to say separately from, from, you know, you, what you would typically talk to them about, right? Like, mm. I don't, I don't go ask these same questions, like what, you know, uh, what, what do you think would be, um, you know, the best uh, defensive technique you could implement or something like that. I don't, I don't ask my friends that, you know, um, that I work <laughs> with, but being able to just read what they have to say about it is really eye opening. Um, and the other thing too, that's really cool is you have, you have uh, a vast, you have a variety of like different types of red teamers. Um, so you have, you know, people that like me who I'm like contracted out to do red team work, right. For different mm -hmm. organizations. And then you have people who are, uh, like it's their full-time job just to be a red team teamer for a, s a single organization, right? So they're like an internal red teamer. Um, you might have, you know, people who are more focused on web apps, you know? So it's really cool to see the actual opinions differ from those, those various uh, like job roles, right? Um, exactly. So I, I, yeah, I really, I really appreciated seeing those perspectives throughout the book. And likewise, because as I said earlier, I think of myself at the core as a blue teamer. I protect and defend. You know, that is just how I'm wired. It goes back to my days in law enforcement and, you know, maybe protecting and defending is in my nature, but I still like to see inside of the red teamer's mind because just as well as you guys look at how we're doing things, we want to look at how you're doing things in hopes of being able to better protect and defend our organizations, right? That's yeah, just the, the natural counter approach. So, Bo, I had Phil on last week when we were talking with the lads behind Attack Forge and what they're doing around making the, the pen testers lives so much easier and for those of you that are out there as red teamers if you have not looked at the attack forge platform yet i would highly encourage you to check it out go to attackforge.com register your account there's a free version there that is full featured but wow, what an impact it has on red team collaboration, reporting, all that stuff. Check it out. But Bo, getting back to you, let's just kind of give your background to the listeners, if you don't mind. So kind of think about that first paragraph of the book where you're describing yourself, your tenure with uh, Black Hills, et cetera. And yeah, then absolutely. Okay. Then I want to talk about how what triggered you to get involved in red teaming. For sure, yeah. So I I feel like I kind of have an interesting um, approach to the way I wanted to do things to get to where I am now. Uh, it's my my wife always says like I had like a, a very specific goal for many years. You know, like I, I had this goal of getting to red team one day, but I had to focus efforts on many other areas before that to to even like understand the concepts. And this is the thing that I get, I would say it's probably the question I get asked most by students uh, and, and people that are new to InfoSec in general is uh, like, how do I get to be a pen tester? How do I get to be a red teamer? Most people want to jump straight to that. And I, <laughs> I'm of the mindset that you can't really just do that. You, you can't just jump straight to it. You have to understand so many other elements around how networks work, how business process work, business logic works that takes just just experience in my opinion so for me 
I honestly like didn't really get interested in cybersecurity specifically until college, um, until I, I took an ethical hacking course. Um, and I want to hit on this, uh, and I'm so glad you brought it up because I'm about to to just lay some truth down, and, and I want to get your response. Right, so. Every university that I've looked at for the bachelor's program around cybersecurity churns out two things in the process, okay? One is a CEH and the other is a CISP, right? So with that, I'm wondering, and I want to get your specific take because you talk about in the book how it was when you were in university when you took the, uh, what I'm assuming is a CEH course, maybe not, but not me. <laughs> uh, then along the lines of ethical hacking. Yeah, so I, it was a course around ethical hacking, but it wasn't for a specific cert. Okay. Did they turn you out as a certified ethical hacker? Nope. <laughs> no? No, yeah. That's no, this what's happening this. today. Okay. That's, what, yeah, yeah. that's what's definitely happening today across the board. It seems like every single university program that I look at, they all turn out the CISP and the CEH. And I'm wondering, and I want to get your perspective and maybe Phil yours as well. Do you think that these universities running one student after another, one you know, year after another through the CEH and producing, you know, these certified ethical hackers, do you think that that is doing the industry good or are they just churning out the paper MCSEs like the nineties did with, you know, the same kind of approach? Well, so, so personally I haven't taken the CEH, so it's hard for me okay. to say, I, I've heard bad things. I'll say that, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, or, or maybe not the best things I should say, things that are, uh, maybe it's less, um, indicative of somebody who knows what to do in like a pen testing situation. Um, but like I said, I haven't taken it, so I can't personally speak to it. Phil, what about you? You're involved in the university environment, right? Yeah, to be be clear, I I work at a community college, so I don't want to make my credentials sound or where I teach, uh, you know, different than what it is. I want to be transparent. But uh, the class, when I started teaching it, we did not use any kind of certification materials in the class because I don't believe that it should be the focus. And I think a lot of colleges and universities are hurting themselves to base a program on that. I think you should give them the knowledge because if you understand how to do a pen test, know how to use the tools and perform all that, you should be able to use like a practice test to pass those exams. That being said, we at, we went from Georgia Weidman's book this past spring semester and we went to the pen test plus to offer students uh, something to get certified for, but we don't call it a pen test plus book. And uh, we kind of cover the materials, but then I give real world examples of walkthroughs. We have a lab environment. I show them how to do the tools and we perform an actual pen test in class. So we're trying to put out people that know how to do a pen test to be able to get a job. That being said, some of the certifications help you get your foot in the door. The CEH is good if you're doing uh, work for the government. It's one of the DOD certs. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people look at that, a lot of consulting companies. One of my last consulting jobs, they were asking me about that. But if you're wanting a certification that's going to help you out as a pen tester, something like the OSCP is going to carry a lot more weight 
because it's exactly. got labs where you actually have to hack into things, perform a pen test to get the certification. The SANS stuff is good too, but their certification is a, is a different way. But that being, like I said, CH is good to get your foot in the door. Some management likes it. It's a good, um, good one that HR looks at. So if you're just getting started out, it doesn't hurt, hurt to have it. And, you know, to Bo's point earlier, and Marcus, I'm going to ask you, man, because, you know, this is your book that I'm pulling this stuff from, uh, ultimately. And I think you and I came up in, in quite a lot of the same ways. Do you think it's realistic to have a certified ethical hacker that has zero real world experience just coming out of university. Do you think that's e e even a plausible construct for a certification? Well, well, I'll tell you what, this reminds me of the military. When I was in the, when I was in the military, what they would tell you is when you arrived to your first duty station, whatever you learned in boot camp and whatever you learned in your C school or, or A school, forget about it. <laughs> <laughs> forget about it. So, yeah, so I, I think that that's what that's what a, that's what certifications are to me. Certifications are a way to prove that you know some kind of body of knowledge, whatever that may be. I think college is the same way. I mm -hmm. think whatever you learn in those things, but I think that it takes somebody probably about six months. Six months is what I, I use as a standard. I think you took anybody if you put them under bow for six months, you put them under Phil for six months, they'd be pretty badass at what they did after six months. So I think that the certification is just a way to it just like college. Are you going to, are you going to dedicate your time to study, prepare and take, take this test? And, and that's all it is to me. Uh, I, I've mentored people <clears throat> where a CEH or a security plus has changed their life. They've, they've got into positions. They got on the job. They learned actually how to do it. So I don't believe, to answer your question, though, Duncan, no, you're not going to learn how to be a pen tester from a certification. You're going to get good background information. Uh, you're going to understand how to do it, you know, working at, at you know, the course that Phil's doing. Sounds like there's a lot of hands-on. That sounds fantastic. But mm -hmm. still, you have to entrench somebody in the environment. And I, and I believe that, that uh, there are so many different things, like, like Bo talked about for us pen testing. There's some positions where you're going to be doing web app assessments. Well, CH is not going to teach you really how to do that, but, but you can go in under the right tutelage. You're going to be able to, okay, burp, zap. How is a web app built? Go build a web app yourself. Do all these different things. <laughs> exactly. You know what I'm saying? So yep. that's, that's, how the, that's how it is, bro. Like, yeah, the certifications are, are, are cool. The education is cool. Uh, my some of my top men, some of my top mentees that are out there making mad money right now didn't go to college, and so. But I still I, I encourage them to get the cert. Get the cert. This is how you do your resume, and so, um, you know, this is a little bit not not a rant per se, but yeah, you have to have on the job experience, and I think a certification gets you into the door. Fair enough. Fair enough. Don't get me wrong. I, I, if you're out there, if you're listening and you're one of these university graduates, I got your CEH as part of that undergraduate study program. Good on you. You know, and just like 
uh, Bo and Marcus stated, these are going to help you get through the gatekeepers in route to developing your InfoSec career. Uh, so many of these resume automation systems with OCR technology, they're just looking for that CEH, you know, V, whatever, uh, because it's part of the job requirements. And yes, it is for some post with in the federal government, a DOD requirement. So I get that. My perspective, though, is regardless of whether or not we're talking about red teamers with CEH or just a security practitioner with the CISP, you can't just obtain those certifications, come out of university and put that badge on saying, I'm a red teamer. Like Bo was saying, there's so many fundamentals that you have to understand, that you have to have experience with, that you have to develop your own tradecraft over the years that will make you not just certified, but probably certifiable, uh, but a credible. And I think that's where the difference between certification and credibility exists. Years of experience in the industry. Now, books like these, working with experts like Bo, Phil, Marcus, others in, in the book, attending those industry events, networking with other individuals, that's what's going to help build you up and support you in whatever career path you're choosing within InfoSec. Now, uh, just want to get back to the book with a couple more questions before we open it up to Q&A. We got about 15 minutes left here. Bo, one of the more humorous responses that I've seen in the entire book comes from you, sir. And it's ironic because we have some headline news to support your response here. For folks with the book and want to follow along, we're on page 19, Bo's response. If you were ever busted on a penetration test or other engagement, how did you handle it? Bo, what was your response? Uh, I think it's something along the lines of busted. What's that? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, you know, the whole purpose of a penetration test, folks, is you don't get exposed. The longer, just like in real life, that you're able to exist within that environment, the more pivots you can make, the more data you can exfiltrate, you know, the more successful that engagement will be and will result in your report back to the hiring organization, right, Bo? Yeah, absolutely. So to, to clarify that answer a little bit, <laughs> that was definitely like me just trying to be funny. Um, so I'm definitely a huge advocate of non-attributable setups. So whenever we do... Um, when we set up our, our command and control servers, whenever we set up um, any of our attacking infrastructure, I'm a huge advocate of trying to be as non-attributable as possible. So I don't right. want the, the, the target to be able to figure out who I am. And so we go to pretty, pretty extensive lengths to try to do that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, of course, there has to be some sort of maintained, uh, established trust with the customer, right? Because they have to know that, you know, this person that's attacking them from this place is us. And then... So yes, we do get some sort of verification on that level. And you know, it actually like that, this is one of my favorite things to talk about when it comes to doing red team assessments is that um, there's a lot of people that I hear say, you know, you shouldn't run a vulnerability scan on a red team. It's kind of like a point of, of contention between a lot of red teamers, right? If I'm, uh, you know, an external attacker and I have, you know, my non-attributable, you know, setup 
and I'm running a scanner from there. So what if I burn that IP, you know? I mean, I might find some right. low-hanging fruit, fruit in the meantime, right? Now, the reason I say it's kind of funny and we have some recent headline news about it, are you familiar with the two lads in Iowa that got themselves arrested during a pen test when they broke into the courts, Iowa? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I saw that. I, I haven't followed up on what the latest, uh, I guess, like the news is around it, but yeah, I did see that. This is one of the things that's real pertinent when it does come to these types of red team engagements is understanding that scope of engagement and sticking within the parameters of that scope. Do either of you, uh, Marcus, feel free as well. I, I'm just seeing the blue team shirt on. <laughs> but do you have any uh, suggestions, recommendations around your experience working with, you know, scope creep or tough customers when it does come to red team pen testing and scopes of engagement? Yeah. So I, I did a little bit of research on this topic, the actual incident. Mm -hmm. So the guys actually were talking in a thread the other day on Twitter. One of the guys actually that got arrested. He was actually talking, uh, Jake, Jake uh, Williams created a thread on it. And one of the guys that was arrested <laughs> was in the thread talking about he couldn't talk about much, but uh, the article that that uh, that I read, if you dive deep into it, I think it was a blue team error, to be honest with you. So I believe that the state gave them permission to break into a county uh, courthouse. So it, this is important. Sometimes blue team right. can mess up and get and, and and give you stuff to test this outside your scope. If I told Bo, hey, uh, yeah, here's our server, here's the IP address, but that's an Amazon server. You know, yep. and he didn't. He didn't get permission. Who looks like the jerk? Bo's gonna look bad, and I, I gave him permission. So I believe that that's what happened. So the the security people at the state level gave them authorization to do it at the county level, and the county wasn't read in, and the county's like no. And so the state actually apologized to the county. It was in. It was if you dig deep into the article, the state apologized to the county. Yes, and I did see that. And there also seemed to be some ambiguity, not only between the state court system and the county level, but there was also the question between their attempted gains of unauthorized access to the court record system. You know, was that strictly limited to electronic means or the physical means of them, you know, trying to break into the, the actual county court building itself? So, Again, it comes down to making sure that you understand the, the frame of, of focus for these engagements and staying within that scope, not only to ensure that you're delivering against the customer expectations, but also that you're not getting your ass into some hot water that you may not be able to get out of. Now, that was obviously one of the more interesting ones, and I just... Bo, I loved your response there. <laughs> Busted, what is that? Phil, let me ask you a question taken directly from the book here. And I'm going to, again, page 272. Phil you know, closes everything up here. I think it went in alphabetical order there. But why can't we agree on what a red team is? It seems like it should be pretty self-explanatory, right? It, it should be, but I can definitely understand the misunderstanding because you've got like uh, people say blue team or red team, and typically that's been blue team as defense. 
red team is offense. People that actually work in the industry, especially those with consulting experience, know that sometimes red teaming is more adversarial uh, simulation and not just a pen test. Whereas, you know, right. they, it's just generalizations of the two and that's just kind of how it's been presented. Absolutely. And I was being a little tongue in cheek there. Yeah. So there's just different perspectives and understanding. And I think a lot of that's based off of, you know, how much they've been involved in these kinds of things in the past. So let me ask this. And Bo, I'm going to direct this one towards you and pulling from some of your experience with your customers through Black Hills. But how can you definitively separate between a red team pen testing exercise versus a red team engagement. What's the difference between those two? Because I seem to have seen that as a recurring theme in quite a bit of the book. How do we separate a pen test from a red team engagement? Yeah, absolutely. So that's that's one of those things that I think um, gets asked a lot <laughs> in the red teaming world is, is, what is what is the difference? Like what what does it actually mean? And, and to me, um, I think pen tests are, the, I think the best way to define it is that a pen test is I'm trying to find the most vulnerabilities I can to help you have the most value from understanding things like, like unpatched crap that's on your network, right? Like random stuff. Like in right. general, if I have a, like a shell on your network, I'm not going to run a vulnerability scan internally because that's something that would attribute to my command control channel if that makes sense, you know, internally. Yep, yep. Um, so on a, on a typical pen test, um, that is something that I might run because I want to be able to, be, to provide the customer with that much more value in terms of what okay. vulnerabilities are there. Does that make sense? Absolutely, um, it does. Whereas on the red team side, uh, you know, we're trying to be stealthy. Like that's, uh, that's the biggest thing is the, you know, trying to maintain non-attribution, be as stealthy as possible. Um, access data that matters. Um, so mm -hmm. that's, that's another big topic is not just necessarily like escalating to DA like that. That's not, that's not the win, right? For us, it's, it's finding paths to interesting data and to things that would be valuable to our customers. Absolutely. You, you have to put a price tag on those assets and how valuable are they? You know, if, if you get domain admin access, fantastic. You're able to pretty much pwn a ton of systems, but if you end up getting, you know, segmented into a particular network and all of a sudden you're trapped inside of that network segment but you end up finding a route into some really interesting local databases or, or you know SQL instances that are on that segment and now you're pwning the data who cares how many systems you have you have the data that's what matters right yeah a great example of this is we, we had a customer that um, we've been testing for years and they have a really really light light completely locked down internal network. Like they're one of our toughest customers, right? So we, we approach this, this assessment very differently than we normally would. Um, whereas we, we, you know, typically if we haven't tested a customer before, we might want to get internal, right? To, to mm -hmm. get data that is internal. Whereas on this assessment, we kind of approach it differently and attacked web apps specifically on a red team engagement. Um, specifically just web apps, which, you know, that's typically, you know, most, most red teamers kind of avoid just doing that because they want to get internal, you know. Um, but in this case, we actually uh, fished an administrator's credential to this web app. And um, we, we used uh, Evil Gen X2 to, to basically uh, proxy the, the credentials to the website. And so mm -hmm. we got the user's credentials logged in and had uh, basically the entire customer list. 
And the customer list alone was actually oh. more important than like getting internal access on this customer. Oh, absolutely. I, I can definitely see that not only with them, but with tons of customers out there or, or organizations. Bo, thank you. Phil, thank you. Marcus, huge thank you for coming back yet again. And of course, for being that first one to take a shot on us uh, when we didn't even really know what the hell we were doing ourselves. It, it's just such a pleasure to be able to still be here, still churning out episodes week after week, and for you to be able to return with such fabulous news for what's going on with the Tribe of Hackers, the entire movement, the book series. We can't wait for the you know Security Leaders edition to come out, the Blue Teamers edition. Hopefully, I'll still be a contributing uh, factor with that. And, you know, just everything that's going on around this. Do we have plans for another Tribe of Hackers Summit? I did not get that out of you yet. Yeah, um, definitely we're going to be planning that for the springtime. So stay tuned for that. Uh, I would love to come on at any time. And one more thing that I want to point out that that's like since I'm kind of old school, we used to call it data security. Then we called it information security. And now we call it cybersecurity. And like, what is cyber? So if you, you know, are you defending the data or are you defending cyber? Because cyber is all over the place. <laughs> so that's what I think about that. Uh, actually, I think we're calling it cloud security at this point now. But <laughs> who knows, man? It's just secure your shit, folks. All right. Put it on lockdown. <laughs> all right. So with that, Carol, do we have anything going on in the Q&A panel? We do. We actually have a lot of good questions. So we have one in... I guess it doesn't matter who answers this. Wanting to know which is the best book that Marcus has put out in regards to cybersecurity beginners. Uh, I think the first book is a really good primer, and that's what it was intended for, for beginners. And, um, and I think that, you know, I mean, I think you start off with the first one, and then you pick up the other ones. I have to agree with you. You know, I'm excited for this leader's book that's coming out because you, you talked about how, you know, they go into how they get the funding for whatever cyber, you know, security practices they have. And one of the questions in the first book was about, is it worth putting the money into it or something along those lines? And so it's interesting that you have this other book coming out that kind of ties back to the first book. So, you know, yeah, cer me, certainly, I would agree with you. The very first book, Tribe of Hackers, you know, I just started browsing through it myself. It's very interesting. So if that's where you want it, that's where you should start. Okay. What else do we have in the Q&A, Carol? Um, we have a lot of people interested in Phil's school online. So we'll be sure to get that in there. Yeah, Phil, can you just give a quick shout out with the URL for the, the Poem Project? Okay. For Poem School, it's just poemschool.com. Excellent. Thank you for that. And we will be sure to include it in the show notes. So when this gets distributed through Anchor FM and to all the major podcasting platforms, it will show up there as well, folks. I love that brand, by the way, Phil. That's a great brand. Thanks. Yeah, I wanted something that was easy to remember. And so Pwn School, we call it for short, but the full name is the Pwn School Project. So after talking about the difference between blue team and red team and definitions. So somebody asked, so the difference is a vulnerability assessment versus pen test is basically exploitation, so to speak. So if I can, I'm going to chip, chip in here. So vulnerability to me is, is looking for flaws on end systems uh, or configuration mistakes. 
But as, as Bo talked about a second ago is I think that pen testing is you're trying to get to the data, something that's mm -hmm. important or disrupt something that, that costs, it hurts the organization. It's pain and that, and that pain makes them fix the problem. Right. Okay, and I think uh, we get five after. We probably have time for one more question if we have anything left. Going once, going twice. Okay, so just a couple show notes. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been an extreme pleasure. Bo, Marcus, Bill, each one of you, thank you so much. Show notes, um, between now and the 2nd of October, we are going to take a break while my beautiful wife and I relocate for the winter to Florida. Hey, we are also Florida. going to be working aggressively on our National Cybersecurity Awareness Month campaign. Yeah, so just kind of reminding everybody that we'll be live five consecutive weeks in October, bringing you some great content from some very awesome people. So yes. yeah, some great, some great stuff coming up in October. Okay, folks. And with that, it is a wrap. Thank you for being with us today. And we will catch you in the month of October. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Cyber Speaks Live. Remember to visit our blog at cyberspeaks.com to sign up for our newsletter of upcoming episodes and special guest co-hosts. If you'd like to be a guest co-host or sponsor the show, please email us at speakup at cyberspeaks.com. That's all for this week. And as always, stay safe and secure out there.